and we're live with Be Green with Amy. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Be Green with Amy. I'm Amy. After adopting a whole food plant-based lifestyle, my hubby Rick and I lost over 130 pounds. Now I coach others on their plant-based journey. Just has voice. Let's welcome our guest. Dr. Jeffrey Pierce is a board-certified family medicine physician. He is passionate about using a whole food plant-based diet to help people get off medications and live longer, fuller lives. Please click like to help Be Green with Amy. Welcome, Dr. Jeffrey Pierce. Greetings and welcome back, Dr. Pierce. Thank you. Very nice to be here. It's very, uh, it's, a, it's my pleasure, Amy. And I say welcome back because Dr. Pierce has been here before and we'll put links to the previous appearances that he's had because he has so much information that he shares with us and I'm so happy that you're back. Now today, Dr. Pierce is going to be talking to us about Alzheimer's and dementia. In the United States alone, more than 5.8 million people are diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Every 64 seconds, somebody is being diagnosed with Alzheimer's and it's the third leading cause of mortality and morbidity in the U.S. It's the third leading cause of death. So heart disease is the first, second is cancer, and the third is Alzheimer's. Now, Dr. Pierce, many people think that once you're 60 or 65, having memory problems is normal. Does Alzheimer's start with symptoms of forgetfulness or does it begin decades earlier? Good question. And it's good that you mention uh, how common Alzheimer's disease is. Uh, and it's a, it's a growing problem. Um, and we need, to, we need to pay close attention to it because nobody wants it. Uh, nobody wants their family members to, to live with it. Uh, and so it's a good thing that we're talking about it today. So your question was, how does Alzheimer's start? Does it start with problems with memory or is there something going on before that? You know, by the, by the time someone is coming to my office or going to your, to your family doctor, internal medicine doctor's office and saying, I think I have early memory problems or Alzheimer's disease because I'm, I'm forgetting things. I'm forgetting names of people that I know I'm forgetting, et cetera, et cetera. So those are often the first signs of Alzheimer's disease that we can detect in the, in the, in the exam room, probably for the 20 to maybe 30 years before that, there have been uh, changes going on, subtle changes with the brain that have led eventually to these memory problems. It seems to be so elusive now to try to figure out what's causing it and what we can do about it. And I'm really glad that you're here to talk about that. What we're going to do is we're going to start off with our game of true or false. It's time for true or false on Be Green with Amy Live. Answer true or false to Amy's questions in the comments below. And Amy will ask our guest for the expert answer. Eating a whole food plant-based diet may help prevent a heart attack, but it doesn't do much for brain and dementia risk. What do you say, Dr. Pierce? All right. So while people are thinking about that and typing in their answers, you know, I, I would start with, you hear a whole lot about trying to eat your fruits and vegetables, your whole grains, your uh, beans and other legumes, your nuts and your seeds, your mushrooms, all these healthy foods, trying to avoid um, processed foods. These are the foods where the good stuff's been taken out. Uh, like the fiber, the vitamins, et cetera, and some bad stuff is put in to make it taste better, like salt oil and sugar, and for it to have a longer shelf life. So we hear about this discussion uh, pretty frequently when it comes to heart disease, when it comes to diabetes, weight loss, things like that. Often, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, but this is different. This is the brain. This is, you know, this is something that we maybe we need pills for if there's problem. But it turns out that actually uh, the same sort of diet and lifestyle that benefits your heart 
will benefit your brain as well. There are millions of tiny little blood vessels in, uh, in your brain. They are all subjected to the same sort of stresses that our heart vessels are subjected to. The other uh, blood vessels of our body that are seeing the bath of saturated fats and trans fats and salts and, and all these sorts of things in, in our diet. So we want to eat the best, healthiest foods possible so that we can preserve the blood vessels in our brain, which will help uh, with the Alzheimer's disease process. Thank you for that. That's going to give us some hope. So here's another one, true or false, medications for Alzheimer's disease work well, so there's no need to try to prevent it. While people are putting in their answers for that, you know, I think this brings up a good point in general about, I really love eating what I already eat and I love, I don't really like exercising. I'm not, I'm, so I'm going to keep that going. And I like staying up late and watching Netflix. And so I'm not going to worry about my sleep. And so basically I'm not going to try to change my lifestyle very much because there's modern medicine has all these great uh, pills and uh, shots and procedures out there. So if I get, you know, if I start to get diabetes, I'll just take some insulin. And if I start to have heart problems, I'll just get a stent placed in my heart. That is uh, unfortunately not the not the best way to approach things. Because while modern medicine is so great with acute problems like, oh, I just fell and broke my arm. Well, thank goodness for modest, modern medicine to be able to fix me up in a jiffy. Um, we're still not great with pills and procedures to, to deal with all these chronic illnesses, which are the uh, major causes of morbidity, morbidity and mortality, meaning what makes us ill and what kills us um, in America and countries around the globe. So is this, is this any different for Alzheimer's disease? So it turns out, and for anyone who is experiencing Alzheimer's disease or anyone who has a loved one ex who is experiencing it, and I'm in that category, uh, Alzheimer's disease is in my family, so I pay uh, attention to this and it's a, it's a personal thing for me, is that the, the medications that we have just do not work that well. There are the cholinesterase inhibitors. This is things like, there, there are a couple in that category, galantamine and denepazil and all these uh, that are started for mild to moderate problems with Alzheimer's. You'll see that it doesn't drastically change the course of the disease. Uh, it may help a little bit. And then as the disease gets more advanced and you add on another category of medications, um, amantine is the medication that you hear often at that point. It also doesn't work all that well. It might change things a little bit, but you'll see that it's just frustrating for those of us who uh, have family members with it. And obviously the, the, the people suffering with it themselves is that there's not a pill that you can take and it gets better. You don't have a really bad bacterial sore throat and you take antibiotics for it and you're better a week from now. There's just nothing like that out there in Alzheimer's me uh, disease uh, medical care. And there's a new, there's a new uh, medication that came out um, recently at Acanumab that has, that's an IV medicine. You have to have MRIs of your brain over and over to make sure that there aren't any serious side effects from it. It's extremely expensive and, and we're still not even sure that it works. It was controversial that the FDA panel, that the FDA went with it. The, F, the panel was very divided on it. And so there's just no great medicines out there for it. And why, it is, and this is why it puts even more of an emphasis on what can we do to prevent um, uh, Alzheimer's disease from ever happening in the first place. Especially if you have somebody in the family, it's really very sad when you can't really, and you're here, you are a physician and you want to help and you know yeah. a lot more than most of us do about this. And it must be very frustrating. And I think it can be a little worrisome to people about maybe having a gene. I wanted to put another true or false question. Alzheimer's disease is purely a genetic disease. Since it runs in my family, I'll probably get it too. Since it doesn't run in my family, 
I don't need to worry about it. Yeah. So as people are coming up with uh, with their answer true or false on that, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Alzheimer's genetics. And so there are certain conditions uh, out there uh, that affect humans that if you have this gene, you will have the disease. Um, it's sort of like a deterministic gene is one way to think about it. If you have it, you're going to, it's sort of like inevitable that you're going to get the disease. Uh, Huntington's chorea is often cited as an example of this. It's a, it's a devastating progressive disease of movement. If you have the genetic problem, you're going to get it later in life. Uh, then there are the, va and, and these are sort of in, in many ways, kind of rare conditions that, um, are affected with a one gene means you get the, the problem. Uh, most conditions and Alzheimer's disease included, there are multiple genes that see, that play a role, but they are they're genes that increase your risk. So they're risk genes instead of deterministic uh, genes. And so this means while, you know, so with Alzheimer's disease, we know this is a problem with memory and then later on with other functions like the ability to do things that you uh, normally should be able to do, the ability to, you know, comb your hair, go to the bathroom, take care of yourself. Uh, it's a disease that affects our personality, et cetera. Um, and it's associated with various brain findings that we see these things called senile or amyloid beta plaques in the brain or neurofibrillary tangles, these things that we only see at time of autopsy or rarely at a, at a brain biopsy, um, which never, which rarely happens. We see this disease is affected by various uh, genes. And so we'll say perhaps a gene that codes for how well our brains uh, clear up the, the junk at the end of the day when we're sleeping in a different gene that codes for how well our brains handle cholesterol and a different gene that deals with how our brains handle inflammation. And so if we are someone who has one of these defective genes, and so it doesn't make a protein that does a great job of clearing out our cholesterol um, that affects our brain, blood vessels, et cetera, well, then we're going to be at an in increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. But the good news is so we can therefore lead uh, lives that make healthier choices day after day, uh, such that we just aren't going to be exposed to the same level of um, of challenges to our brain. So we don't need perfectly functioning genes um, to, to deal with them. So if you're eating less saturated fat and you are exercising more and you're sleeping more and you're stressing less and you're getting less inflammation in general and eating anti-inflammatory foods, uh, even if you might have some defective genes, your risk can still be quite low for getting um, uh, Alzheimer's disease because you've changed your, your, your modified your lifestyle. And so back in the Back in the early days, um, the scientific community said Alzheimer's disease is not preventable. You're either going to get it or you're not. We don't really know what causes it. We know there's some genes involved as, as more and more information was, was collected. But then little by little, the scientific community is saying, oh, actually, we think that maybe 30% of Alzheimer's diseases uh, can be avoided if you make healthier choices in your diet and your lifestyle in general every day. And then the scientific community said, oh, actually, it looks more like 50 or 60 percent. And if you look at the research that doctors uh, Dean and Aisha Shurzai do, who is a husband and wife uh, neurology team located in Loma Linda, California, one of the blue zones, uh, healthiest uh, places in the world um, in the Seventh-day Adventist population down there, you'll see that they say probably up to 90 percent of cases of Alzheimer's disease can be um, avoided by our lifestyle choices. And that includes people who have some genetic predisposition to it. You know, they like to point out um, that there, uh, there are a few genes in Alzheimer's 
um, uh, one called presenilin 1, presenilin 2, APP. These, there are a handful of genes that if you have them, you're pretty much very likely to get this disease. But that's about up to 3% of all cases of Alzheimer's um, are associated with those genes. The rest are associated with genes that just increase your increase your risk. And that's why lifestyle can make such a, um, a, a difference in these instances. That's really great to know. It's, it's always nice to know that something can be within your control if you decide to learn about it. Now, you were talking about fat, and I think that some people may be confused about that. So let's put up this true or false. Since the brain is mostly made of fat, a high fat diet is the best diet for the brain. True mm -hmm. or false? Yeah. So this is something apparently that you see on the internet. Oh, uh, our brains are, our brains really are somewhere around 60% fat and a lot of water in there. And, and, and so we think, oh, well, so if I just eat a bunch of fat, this will give me the necessary building blocks for, for my brain tissue. But that's actually not true. And it's important to pay particularly in, uh, particular interest, sorry, particular focus and attention to this uh, question, because there are fats that are largely responsible for blood vessel um, stress and, and damage with our heart and our brain and the rest of our body. Um, and that's particularly saturated fats and trans fats. Saturated fats, trans fats, cholesterol, these are found predominantly in animal products. Um, and uh, they are associated with it having an, in, it, it, for people who eat the highest concentrations of this, and this has been in, in many scientific studies, the highest concentration of saturated fats, trans fats, cholesterol, compared to people who eat the lowest amounts, they, they have a much higher chance of getting Alzheimer's disease, in addition to things like stroke and uh, heart attacks and, and other things, diabetes, etc. When you see groups of people who switch out a saturated fat rich diet. So that's, you know, meat, uh, beef and chicken and uh, pork and high fat dairy products, um, uh, processed foods with lots of added fats, etc. Um, when when you switch those out and you go low fat in your diet, or you switch them out for much healthier fats, like the fats that you see in nuts, and in seeds, and in fatty plant foods like uh, olives and avocado, that uh, the people eating that sort of uh, a fat profile have a lower risk for getting Alzheimer's disease. Uh, we make the fats that our brain needs uh, for, for its own structural fat component. We're able to make the cholesterol that we need. We, there's no dietary requirement for cholesterol. It's just uh, the most important type of fat that we need to consume are the essential fats, the essential fatty acids. And, and, and this is what uh, we think about as omega-3 fatty acids that are in such high supply in flaxseed, um, uh, chia seed, hemp seed, these our bodies cannot make. And so we get them through our diet. They're also found in, uh, in fish and in marine algae, et cetera. Um, we get them in our diet. Uh, our body then converts them into uh, long chain omega-3s. These are uh, referred to as DHA and EPA. And these are essential for the brain, particularly at the bookends of life when we're, when we're babies uh, and when we're uh, adults. When we're babies, we're forming all this brain tissue. Uh, when we're uh, uh, elder adults, we are, of, of course, needing this to maintain good function um, and hope to avoid Alzheimer's in the future. Yes, that's good to know. There are some people who are following the whole food plant-based lifestyle, and they are really very low fat or, or trying to eliminate fat altogether. 
So it's just good to know that there's different types of fat and to be careful about that. And also about the cholesterol. I mean, all animals make cholesterol and we're animals. So we make our own cholesterol. Whenever we eat another animal, we're eating their cholesterol. Right, right, and um, the and I would say that whether or not the what how much of the polyunsaturated fatty acids like it, should we just have should we have no added oils should we be totally oil free should we have a little bit of olive oil or avocado oil should we just eat avocados or olives There's some controversy about that. There's not controversy about does eating high saturated fat and trans fat foods is definitely a risk factor for, for Alzheimer's disease. And so uh, by avoiding those, um, that's already such a huge step in avoiding your risk for Alzheimer's disease and multiple other chronic illnesses. What we'll have to see, what the science uh, uh, will parse out over time will be um, is a little bit of olive oil better than no olive oil? Is a little bit of avocado better than no avocado oil? I think that the main message here is don't eat saturated fat, don't eat trans fats. The trans fats are what are found in processed foods, pastries, junk food, and trace amounts and in, in some animal products. Don't eat those and just be cognizant of the other types of fats that you eat, especially if you're trying to maintain weight or lose weight, even super healthy olive oil and avocado oil, uh, healthy compared to saturated fat are super high in calories, um, the most calorically uh, dense foods out there. And so we have to keep an eye on that for, for other reasons. Now we've been talking a lot about Alzheimer's, but we also said that we we're going to be talking about dementia. But then there's mm -hmm. this thing called cognitive impairment. And so mm -hmm. sometimes it can get confusing for people to know the differences. So can you talk a little bit about that? It's a complicated uh, topic or easily to get confused. So dementia is the broad category of um, significant level of dysfunction, memory problems, cognitive impairment with being able to uh, perform tasks and and uh, understand things and say the things that you want to say. And so dementia is the umbrella term that involves Alzheimer's disease and Lewy body dementia and um, Parkinson's disease associated dementia and vascular dementia associated with having strokes and, and, uh, and, and the like. Of all those categories of dementia, Alzheimer's disease is the most common. And so, uh, if you if you have some uh, if you have a, a family member with dementia, you, your family member is most likely to be suffering from Alzheimer's dementia, and some of the other types are, are are less common. Now, that being said, there's there's overlap, and there was an interesting study that showed um, a group of people. One, I forget how the the size of the group, but I, I want to say maybe a thousand people, but a, a, a significant group of people who donated their brains and bodies to science after they pass. And so they, if they were diagnosed with dementia and they said, oh, well, clinically you look like you've got Alzheimer's disease. And then when they do, did the uh, autopsy later, they, they found that that was some, a minority of cases that it was purely Alzheimer's disease, something like 10 to 30% was purely Alzheimer's pathology based on what they saw in the autopsy, but that there's, there was significant overlap and, and the greatest overlap uh, was vascular types. So atherosclerosis, which is the hardening and thickening and clogging of the arteries that we see that affects our heart, the having little strokes, having inflammation of the blood vessels, that this was a, a major um, cause of, of these symptoms that looked like Alzheimer's disease to the doctor. And so um, I, I, that's just to say that there are multiple causes of dementias out there and there's multiple factors even involved in what is causing Alzheimer's disease dementia. This is probably part of the reason why it responds so well to eating a diet that is high in whole plant foods 
um, lower absent of saturated fat um, animal foods, and of course, uh, keeping salt low and exercising and sleeping. And we should talk, we'll talk about that uh, as well in just a, in a little bit, I'm sure. Uh, and then you asked, or you mentioned about uh, cognitive impairment in, in a term that is, uh, you'll see it, um, a lot in in medical literature is mild cognitive impairment. And that is sort of like an early form of dementia where you might have some memory problems, but you're, it's not significantly affecting your ability to drive from home to the grocery store and then remember how to get back home from the grocery store. And it's not affecting sort of, uh, it, it's more of a, like it sounds, it's mild, it's early, um, and it might stay like that and never progress. But if it gets worse and worse and starts meeting other hallmark signs, then you get the diagnosis of one of the types of, of dementia. And I'll say one last part to this, uh, which is because of the difficulty in making the, the diagnosis, um, and you should always think about multiple possibilities and not just say, oh, dad is having memory problems. He can't remember uh, how to, and he also can't multitask and he can't remember how to um, balance the checkbook. So he must have Alzheimer's disease. Um, of course, you're taking dad to the doctor's office and, and your doctor will say, okay, so let's check. Let's see, are you on any medications where the side effects might be causing these same um, symptoms that dad's having? Let's, so let's run down your list of medications. Do you have any um, health problems that might be explaining this? Uh, let's check some labs. How good are your kidneys working? How good's your liver working? How, how about your B12 level? Or how about some, some sorts of chronic infections like uh, syphilis or HIV that can affect uh, how well we remember things and how well we function. And anyone who's getting the diagnosis of Alzheimer's dementia entertained is going to, uh, should get some sort of brain imaging because there are conditions like hydro, uh, normal pressure hydrocephalus, uh, a type of swelling in the brain or slow growing brain tumors that are slowly pushing on structures that are affecting our may, uh, our memory or how we talk. And so, so a CT scan, a CAT scan, and, and usually an MRI, um, uh, scan of the brain will be done just to make sure that we haven't been saying, oh, you've got Alzheimer's for the last five years. Um, and really it was just a slow growing brain tumor that if we had made that diagnosis, you could have had surgery and, um, you know, reversed your symptoms. There is a thorough workup that needs to be involved in this. It almost seems like if somebody did get that diagnosis for Alzheimer's, that maybe they might want to consider getting a secondary, maybe even a third opinion, just to be sure that if, if they don't explore all these things. Right. And I think that a lot of, I'm a family doc, I'm a primary care doc. And so a lot of that depends on your relationship and your trust in your, in your primary doc. And, and, a, and a good doc will say, you know, this is, I'm feeling out of my comfort zone. I think your mom might have Alzheimer's disease. Let's ask one of my colleagues, or maybe we'll do a referral to a neurologist because something about the way this is progressing, it's extra fast. And so it, it doesn't sound quite like Alzheimer's disease. So often your primary doc will either uh, uh, let you know his or her uncertainties or need for a consultation, or maybe you just are meeting this doc for the first time and you're not sure you don't have that. You haven't built that rapport and trust with your doc uh, over decades of seeing them uh, and and being satisfied and happy with your overall care that you're like, ah, you know, I just don't know if this doc knows what uh, they're talking about. So let's go ahead and get another opinion. Uh, that's perfectly fine as well, especially for such an important condition as this that is going to affect the patient's life, the family's life for years to come. Yes. Well, that's such good information. And I know a lot of people will be sharing this broadcast with other people who may need this help to learn more about it because sometimes you just want to help advocate 
advocate for somebody that you love and there sometimes you feel like there's not that information that you're looking for and this may very well put the pieces of some of the puzzle together. You kind of hinted at this with as far as the diet and lifestyle and I want to let everybody know that that you are now double boarded, right? Because mm-hmm. in the introduction, we didn't have enough time to change that. So you're double boarded in, go ahead. Tell That's us. right. So originally uh, in family medicine, and that was back in 2007 when I finished residency, and then have since also become a lifestyle medicine provider and am boarded in that through the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine. So it's nice to have a sort of two backgrounds to help address patients' concerns. Yes. And I think that it really is helpful for today's talk as well, because you were talking about trying to diagnose, and then you're talking about trying to help people. And when you have a medical background and you rely on research and you rely on medical studies that are published, and then you also know about the different ways to help people, you know how to prescribe pills and procedures, but you also know about other things. And you were hinting a little bit earlier about diet and lifestyle and how it can contribute to this and how it can help. So why don't you go ahead and tell us more about that? In some ways, this might have been sounding a a little bit of a downer kind of talk so far because there's a whole lot of negative, you know, it's a, it's somewhere between the, I've seen the six leading cause of uh, death currently, but it might be higher based on what you were saying earlier, Amy. And it's, yeah, uh, they're saying that the Scherzeis were saying that it's probably underdiagnosed. They put it up to three. So they're putting it up to three. Yeah. Well, they know their, they know their stuff. So, so the mortality is high, the cost, the personal cost, emotional uh, cost, the, national costs, you know, this is one of these things that could just totally collapse a a national, uh, a nation because of the costs that are involved in it. You know, we're, I've already been down and on the the medications that nothing works all that great. And so uh, what's the positive? Well, really the positive is that in that emphasis on prevention, and there are multiple studies that are showing really that paying attention to multiple aspects of our day-to-day decisions um, will help keep us in that group of never getting Alzheimer's. So, you know, something like mm, 10% of 65-year-olds have Alzheimer's disease and maybe up to 50% of 85-year-olds have Alzheimer's or another form of dementia. So it's it's a high prevalence. And I I'd love to live to 85. I, I wouldn't mind living longer, but I also don't want to be 85 and being in a Alzheimer's unit um, if I can if I can avoid it. And for a while, especially when my family member, when my grandmother had Alzheimer's, I was thinking, gosh, you know, uh, this is horrible for her. It's horrible for uh, particularly, you know, her primary caregivers, uh, like what my mom went through, anyone who's gone through this knows that it's, uh, you, you don't want this to be you if you can avoid it. And when we think that it's all genes, um, then... I'm just going to do whatever. It doesn't matter because I'm genetically determined to get this. But the, but this great news of it not being like that and that it is in our control in many ways to avoid uh, suffering from this condition. So now it's sort of like, well, you know, I was kind of interested in losing some weight, but more importantly than fitting into these new pair of jeans or whatever, or, or getting trim for the upcoming swimsuit season is, um, is avoiding Alzheimer's disease uh, along with uh, avoiding heart disease and diabetes, these other things we've been talking about. So uh, the Scherzeis have a great way of looking at this, and they have a, um, a mnemonic or uh, an acronym called NEURO, N-E-U-R-O, um, and N is for a focus on nutrition. 
Uh, e is for a focus on um, exercise. Uh, U for unwind, uh, and that deals with stress management. R uh, for res restore or restorative sleep. And O uh, for um, optimize sort of brain capacity. So any uh, URO. And, and so let's break that down. They uh, focus on uh, in comes first as nutrition. And that's uh, one of the major ways to address uh, our risk for Alzheimer's disease. And, and that's focusing on what we've been talking about, a whole food plant-based diet, a healthy diet that's uh, centered around plants. They have There's research on something called the mind diet, which is not particularly strict. It's, it's focused on plants, but uh, that um, included some fish and chicken. It might've included low fat dairy products. And even that diet, people following that diet closely showed somewhere around a 65% reduction, uh, 60, 65% reduction. I want to say, no, I think that was, sorry, that one was, I think the 53% reduction somewhere in the 50, 60 that, uh, showed an improvement in risk of getting Alzheimer's disease. And, uh, but the good news is, is that we can do better than that. We can eat really a plant centric or plant exclusive diet, uh, where we're avoiding the saturated fats, the trans fats, the cholesterols, and we're putting the focus on foods that have really high anti-inflammatory properties. And so I think we need to be careful with like, oh, eat this, you know, Indian gooseberry, and it's going to fix all of our problems. Um, because we probably don't have that great studies, uh, uh, on some specific foods. There are some studies on, on some, on groups of foods that have showed that, uh, it decreases, it, it, uh, risk for dementia, for Alzheimer's disease, increases your memory, your focus capacity, et cetera. And so um, the uh, Sherzai's talk about the neuro nine. Uh, so these are the nine uh, groups of food that you should try to include in your diet every single day to help decrease your risk for dementia. Of the nine, the first one is green leafy vegetables. And so these are your kale and your um, and your spinach and your chard and your collards and pak choy, bok choy, uh, et cetera. And uh, they're extremely high in nutrients, antioxidants. Um, and uh, so putting that in there in your diet every day, uh, people who sometimes see some of my stuff on social media know that I'm a big gardener and a big proponent of growing your own stuff and growing your own greens is uh, such a great uh, way to do this. They, they tend to be pretty easy to grow and you can grow some sort of a green in a very small space uh, year round, uh, pretty much even wherever you it, are. Even if it's an herb garden in your apartment. Yeah. That's yeah, a good yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, 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 uh, sprouts like broccoli sprouts and very high in these anti-inflammatory components. So definitely, uh, that's a good one. So cruciferous vegetables, speaking of broccoli sprouts is, uh, is number two in their neuro nine. So your broccoli and your cauliflower and your Brussels sprouts, etc. whole grains. So this would be brown rice versus white rice or quinoa, amaranth, um, uh, oats, etc. Um, uh, not, a, you know, highly refined white, uh, cracker, uh, or a buttery, uh, cracker, all these other things that you get processed, but go, go as uh, close to, uh, whole as you can. So, um, the whole grains that we just mentioned are part of the neuro nine, that was number three, number four beans and other legumes. So the legumes include beans, chickpeas, split peas, uh, lentils, really these foods, they fight diabetes. They keep, uh, sugar and, and, uh, cholesterol low, um, they're associated with um, having low rates of dementia. You know, they're eaten all the time in the blue zones. And in the blue zones, you have almost no dementia. I mean, it's fascinating. We were talking about this, uh, you know, 10% risk of dementia, Alzheimer's dementia when you're 65. In the blue zones, it was hard for them to do dementia type studies because it's so hard to find people with dementia. 
Um, and these are in these are in areas where people are living into their 80s, 90s and 100s. Sort of an anecdotal point that's related to that uh, is uh, Dean Scherzai, the one of the neurologists uh, in a blue zone in Loma Linda, had a memory clinic or a dementia clinic in his thousands of patients. I think it was two or three thousand patients in his memory clinic uh, in Loma Linda, where there's about a 50 percent vegetarian rate in the population. So you would expect that maybe about 50 percent of his patients in that area would have would be vegetarian. And he said that less than 20 of his patients were vegetarian in that dementia clinic. The rest were all uh, eating meat. And so, uh, you know, just an anecdotal point that wasn't a research study. But um, uh, you, when you're looking at these groups of people who are eating um, high, uh, uh, almost exclusively, if not exclusively plant foods, um, you're going to have... Uh, very low rates of dementia. Okay, so that was a side uh, tangent. As we're finishing our Neuro 9, we've got green leafy vegetables. We've got our cruciferous vegetables. We've got whole grains. We've got the legumes. Now, moving on to berries. And so there's lots of research with blueberries, but um, which are excellent, frozen, fresh, etc. But berries of any kind, you know, strawberries, cherries, etc., uh, are high in anti-inflammatory components. Um, number uh, six, uh, nuts, um, walnuts, almonds, etc., are great. They have healthy fats, uh, lots of uh, vitamins and minerals. So, and try to include that. Number seven, seeds and the seeds, you know, all, all seeds, chia, flax, uh, in particular, uh, hemp, but then also pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, etc. Eight, herbs and spices. And this one is, is exciting for a couple of reasons. One, because it makes our food just taste better the more herbs and spices we put uh, on our food. But, um, and it helps us use less salt because that we know that salt is a major risk factor for uh, having various types of injuries to our brain, including strokes um, and dementia. Uh, but they, uh, different kinds of herbs and spices have specific uh, antioxidants like uh, curcumin, which is the active, uh, the most active component of turmeric. Um, which you find in, in curries most commonly, uh, has been shown scientifically to bind to the um, some of the uh, pathological process uh, proteins that appear in the brain um, and help the body uh, realize and uh, that it's there and flush it out. And then the, the last in their Neuro 9 is drinking tea, and they include mostly green tea, but also black tea, white tea, uh, oolong tea, because of the catechins, like in green tea, the anti-inflammatory components there. So if you can include those in your diet, um, uh, most days, if not every day, that's great. And that is pretty much the focus of the in, in the neuro approach. And then we'll talk about the, the exercise, the unwind, the restorative sleep and the optimize, but any, anything that you wanted to say at this point, Amy, or should I keep going? Well, I think it's great that you're telling us about this because people are always looking for that superfood, like you said, and you listed a bunch of different superfoods. And if people really concentrated on getting those in their diet every day, it would at least displace some of the other things that may not be favorable in their diet. And what's nice about it also is it's not just good to help with preventing the dementia and the Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, but it also has so many other benefits as well. That's true. It's true. And, and, and I think we should in general be a little bit wary about in any one specific superfood. Um, but that's why it's all part of a bigger dietary um, pattern. And so uh, when I was younger, maybe in med school, uh, you know, or, or before I'd say, well, I'm going to get the blueberry muffin because that's, you know, it's got some blueberries in it. But, you know, if the if the blueberry muffin is chock full of uh, butter and proce uh, ultra processed white flour, um, that, those blueberries 
you know, aren't just ain't going to do what uh, eating a, 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 a bowl full of, you know, oats covered with uh, blueberries would, would be, um, they're just totally different um, ends of the spectrum there. Uh, make sure that, that this is part of a healthy pattern uh, of eating and it will help in so many different ways. Okay. So, so that, so that was nutrition. So let's talk a little bit about the exercise component. There's no debate or there's no big debate. Um, that exercise is good for us. We've heard that for forever. It, it is still true today. And what is exciting is that there are studies that show that exercise is particularly also good for Alzheimer's prevention. Uh, we know that we go out for a walk to help our uh, heart attack risk, but it's also good to know that you're going to be decreasing your risk for Alzheimer's disease when you go for a jog or a run or a bike or a hike or spend an hour doing some heavy gardening. Um, and, uh, studies, there was a Harvard study that showed that just walking, um, every day, it was something like brisk walking somewhere around 20 minutes or something over years led to a, maybe a 40% decrease in Alzheimer's risk. And there's a specific study that looked at a cohort of people with mild cognitive impairment. So not just people with no signs of memory loss, but people with signs of early memory problems, mild cognitive impairment, they did uh, something like an hour and a half, uh, particularly uh, resistance training, like lower body resistance training, squats and stuff like that, two, three, two or three times a week. Uh, I think it was over just like a six month uh, study period. And it showed uh, a, a significant percentage of those people with already a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment improved um, their mild cognitive impairment. Uh, basically went away. And so to see uh, an improvement in early disease uh, is also quite exciting um, in addition to preventing it in the first place. And so um, go out, do something that makes you breathe hard, um, uh, something that invo involves your legs and try to make it a, a regular part of your day, a definitely a regular part of your week. The, you know, the CDC um, and several other groups recommends a, a minimum of, a, of 150 minutes uh, uh, per week of, uh, of good exercise. That's uh, moderate intensity exercise. That could be a brisk walk. That is, uh, that's key. Eating well is very, very, very important. Uh, but then also having some sort of activity being uh, part of the uh, daily routine is key. You know, all of us live busy lives. Sometimes all we have time for is that 30 minute or 60 minute um, bout at the gym. And then we're sitting for the rest of the day uh, in front of our computer or, uh, you know, uh, relaxing because we had a tough long day at work, et cetera, watching TV, ordering takeout, they deliver it to the door, et cetera. You can sit almost all day, even if you don't really want to because of how busy we are and because of all the conveniences that are built into our lives. So try to make exercise something that's happening all throughout the day. And so uh, that's part of the reason why I love gardening is because you have to get up multiple, uh, you know, you have to get out in your garden sometimes twice a day to water and weed and pick things up. But, you know, just walking, uh, parking far away from the entrance to the store that you're going to and walking more, taking the stairs, um, going for a, a quick walk after dinner with the family um, instead of um, turning on the TV, et cetera. Try to make it something that you do multiple times a day. Yeah, because the garden is pretty much like life. If you don't take out those little weeds, if you just get them when they're just little tiny weeds, it's very a lot easier to take care of than if you neglect it. And so you should neglect yourself either. And that's so appropriate. People, yep. Right. And people that have not been active or haven't been active for a long time, of course they can't go all out and start, mm -hmm. you know, a marathon the very first day. 
but even just taking a few walks around your home, if, mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. that's where you're at, right? And then you just keep working yourself up from there. And you'd be surprised how quickly you'll get more endurance and more energy, especially if you're following this lifestyle. That's totally true. And it's such a great point, Amy. I'm glad you brought that up because some people say, well, I'm not going to exercise because I just, I'm not going to have enough time to run a marathon. It's just like, well, no, that's not your goal. Your goal should not be that you're going to try to do the Olympic trials next year or that you're going to try to be, you know, deadlift 300 pounds. The exciting part about this is that uh, the vast majority of health benefits comes from just something like a brisk walk, uh, which you can do, like you just said, around your house, inside your house. You can do Zumba. You can do, you know, there's a gazillion videos on YouTube that you can put on. Um, and you can do it in your bedroom with your door shut. So you're, you know, you don't have to take any flack from your kids or who are like, oh, what are you doing working out for the first time or whatever? You know, it's for you and it doesn't have to be major. It doesn't have to be major ever. You could just go for uh, a good brisk walk. Uh, and that could be your ultimate goal for the rest of your life. So good point. Thanks for bringing that up, Amy. Yeah. Um, so go ahead. What's next? All right. So that was in E. You un, um, unwind. And so this, this is talking about stress now. I love how they put this in this, again, referring to the, the Shur's eyes. And I'll, you put the link to the book yes. above and I'm bending over and I'm, I'm, I have a copy here with me so everyone can see yeah. it also on, on there. But yes, they um, have actually have two books and I'm going to put mm-hmm. links to both of them up and I recommend them highly. They're most excellent. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And this the second one, which is the 30 day Alzheimer's solution is is beautiful, lots of great recipes, uh, easy read, uh, et cetera. Very, very digestible, if you'll excuse the pun. But so on to unwind. And I love the way the shirt size put this, which is that, you know, basically stress is in our lives. There's going to be stress um, no matter what, even, you know, I, I suppose even if I retired and found a nice little beachfront property in a, uh, near the tropics um, and surfed all day, I would still have some sort of stress. There's no way that we avoid it, but there, there's good stress and there's bad stress. And um, good stress is actually good for the brain. It's good for our dementia risk to be doing something that that makes our brains work. And that stress that is good tends to be something that is defined by a time. So it has a start point and it has an end point. Um, it is in line with our values. It is, it, it's something that leads towards building. And this leads to better uh, hormones and neurotransmitters going off in the brain. Our, our uh, cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone goes down. Our adrenaline goes down. Our uh, oxytocin, which is a feel-good hormone goes up. Um, and so, uh, I, for example, I, I'm a, I'm a amateur musician. Um, I play the saxophone and I've got a gig coming up this week and I have to learn a, a bunch of new songs. And it's, it was a little bit stressful to learn the melodies and learn how to take some solos on them. But, um, it's, you know, this is something that's in line with my goal of being a better musician. It's, uh, something that I find is emotionally good for me. It's going to be involving other people in a good way. Um, and so it, it all, it leads to a, a, a good stress environment. And, and then we're going to contra- contrast that with a bad stress environment. And it's the bad stress that we want to minimize or work on. And this is stuff that seems to be going on all the time. It's not going to stop on Tuesday. It's going to continue every day of the week because of all the things that are going on in our lives. We're working a job that we hate. That's not congruent with um, what we want to do. We're you know fighting with our spouses and we haven't found a way to uh, to to talk about it in a healthy way, et cetera. And so those hormones are flip-flopped. Your cortisol is up, your adrenaline is up, your oxytocin is down. Um, and this sort of stuff leads to damage to our memory centers of our brain, damage to our brain in general, increasing our risk for uh, dementia. And so uh, trying to deal with that through meditation, 
through uh, listening to music that's pleasing and relaxing, uh, through yoga, um, through um, uh, quality time with loved ones. Um, all of these can be ways to address the bad stress and uh, that will help reduce our risk for, uh, for Alzheimer's disease. I can think about times where I had to concentrate on doing something and, and I was anticipating it being complete and I was anticipating the satisfaction of it. And I did get good feelings from that. And then when you actually complete it, you get that good feeling again versus like you mm -hmm. said, with the bad stress, we're all going to face stress, right? So we can't mm -hmm. eliminate it, but we can definitely do things to try to alleviate some of it. Okay. So what's the next letter in? The all right. Right. So the R, we're on R, um, which is uh, restorative sleep or to restore. It turns out that uh, maybe the most important eight hours of our day uh, are the eight hours that we're in bed asleep. That's a good healthy goal, somewhere around seven to nine hours of good restorative sleep. Um, because it turns out that there are some really important things that only happen uh, or that happen predominantly when we're asleep. And so that includes um, the this crazy, uh, interesting system called the glymphatic uh, system uh, made up of uh, glial cells and, and, and uh, a flow of, of um, fluids that help basically flush out the bad stuff that's built up over a stressful day, you know, plaques and tangles and uh, toxins and stuff that has just been the clutter of a day um, and it needs to get cleaned up by the housekeepers of the brain. And this happens at during sleep and particularly during deep sleep. And so, you know, I can think about my eight-year-old daughter's uh, bedroom right now um, and that with time, uh, it just, you know, stuff builds up the, the wadded up clothes and the toys and the cat food bag and everything. And it just, if we never cleaned it out, we wouldn't be able to, to, to do anything in that room. Right. But, um, at night, our brains have this, the glial cells and the other parts of the system that flush that stuff out. And if we get bad sleep, you know, oh, I'm going to pull all nighter because I have a test tomorrow or um, I'm partying um, with my friends every weekend. And um, we, you know, we get home after dawn and we, you know, sleep an hour. This kind of uh, uh, bad sleep um, leads to the glial cells going a little bit haywire and even and sort of uh, picking apart healthy uh, cells um, and attacking healthy parts of the brain, including the memory parts of the brain. That cleaning system um, uh, needs to be functioning at, uh, at in top gear, and that is brought about by getting into deep sleep. The other major important um, thing that happens during in our sleep, uh, during our sleep is memory consolidation. So short-term memories, things that we learn today uh, being consolidated into long-term memory. Um, and so that's, you know, any, anyone who stayed up, uh, trying to pull an all nighter for a test and you get to the test and you don't remember all the things that you just had, uh, you know, two hours ago in your brain, you didn't get that chance to sleep, let that stuff solidify, um, and become, uh, you know, more connections being made to, for this potential quadrillion connections that can happen in our brain. It's important that we sleep. Some people realize the importance of sleep, but um, but can't get to sleep, right? Um, and so that struggling with, with insomnia is a major health issue, and you need to pay attention to it. And that involves checking your sleep habits, which is often referred to sleep hygiene. But you know, what are we doing during the day and during the night that can maximize our chance of getting some good quality restorative sleep? So, are we getting good sunlight exposure in the morning? 
Uh, are we getting exercise uh, during the day, but not right before bed, uh, because that can kind of keep us uh, too excited and ramped up to sleep well? Um, are we winding down at the end of the day? At the end of the day, with a good wind down pattern, such as listening to calming music, turning the lights down low. Um, taking a hot shower or a bath. Do we have the room temperature right? Um, is it too cold or is it too hot? Uh, do we have pets that are barking at the raccoons at night, you know, uh, at three in the morning? Are we uh, eating right before we go to bed? That's not good. It's good to wait at least a couple of hours so that we're not actively digesting and getting reflux and all this stuff when we go to lie down. Uh, are we turning the screens off? Um, because I know everyone wants to watch Be Green with Amy's uh, latest YouTube, but maybe don't do it at, you know, 1030 right before you go to bed, especially if you're having problems with insomnia. Uh, so those are some of the things that come to mind, including also, sorry, stimulant uh, type, uh, um, con consuming different kinds of stimulants like uh, caffeine, the, the green tea right before bed is not a good idea. Coffee, uh, chocolate, even some people are super sensitive because they're so slow processors of the caffeine and, and things like that. Anything else that comes to mind uh, on your end, Amy, when it comes yeah, to- Yeah, when you mentioned the caffeine, even for some people that they don't realize that caffeine can really stay in your body for a long period of time. And so for some people, just not doing it too close to bedtime might be enough. But for other people, even a morning cup of something that had caffeine and it could stay in their system long enough to last to bedtime where it might affect their sleep as well, which is mm -hmm. amazing. We're just all different. You can always listen to my podcast instead of watching. <laughs> there you go. You can avoid, and you can avoid the blue light doing it that way. Exactly. Yeah. I have these little candles that are battery operated because I'm not responsible with flames. <laughs> <laughs> and so they do put off a, a kind of flickering candlelight. And then I try to have that as I'm getting ready for bed instead of the overhead bright light. You're physician, but you're also a lifestyle medicine doctor. So you are aware of all these different areas that we need to pay attention to because diet is very important, but you are also aware of the other things and you can help people who are having maybe difficulty sleeping or, or addressing some of these things that you're talking about and help them to optimize it. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Did you have another letter left? Yep. The last letter uh, is speaking of optimizing is uh, optimize, optimize your brain function. This is this is sort of the idea that many people have heard about when trying to preserve our brain function and stave off the risk of dementia is what can we do to build up our brain capacity now so that as we experience the inevitable um, loss of some of our brain function um, and brain mass as we age, that we're just starting from a better starting point. And so I like to think about also, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who uh, in his heyday in his 20s and 30s had huge muscles. But with time, um, as we age, there's muscle loss that happens. But even though he is much my senior, he still has a much larger muscle uh, mass than I do um, because he started with something higher. The decline that he's had in muscle mass has been has still left him with uh, pretty pretty good muscles. And so I I think the th same can be thought of with the brain, where the bigger you've the better you've worked out your brain muscle, the more you're going to have left when you have the inevitable loss as you uh, to some degree as you get older. So how can we build this up? How can we optimize our cognitive cognitive reserve or our capacity? And so um, from the research, it seems to be the more complex um, activity that you do that seems to bring in different aspects of our brain function, the more 
the, the better a job it does at, of building up our capacity. So while some people say, well, I'm just going to do a crossword before I leave bed in the morning, or I'm going to do some Sudoku while I'm waiting around for you know someone to show up or whatever, it's uh, it's better to be more complex than that if possible. Uh, sure, do a crossword and do Sudoku is great, but doing something that involves more brain centers. So going back to the music example, uh, picking up a new instrument because it involves so many different parts, the, listening to it, trying to figure things out, between your hands and the in the musical page, talking to others and playing with others in the group, the interactions that comes with that, the emotional um, ups and downs that come with learning an instrument. Um, that's so much more complex than uh, trying to remember what the capital of Nebraska is or whatever. The other example would be learning a new language or um, doing things that involve complex social interactions. So uh, you're not just staying at home and um, uh, doing a word puzzle, but you're getting out and uh, interacting with other people and the complexities that are involved in that. So do things that involve multiple areas of the brain, do them as often as possible and keep it up and make sure that it's fun, right? Uh, you know, nobody's going to stick to something that's like, well, I'm doing this to prevent the possible chance of getting Alzheimer's 30 years from now. No, no. You just want to find things that you love doing that you can do every day that are, that have some mental complexity to it. Um, that's just going to be part of your fabric of life, reading good, reading books and then going to the book club every month and interacting with people and talking about that. Now you see, you feel empowered when you have this information and when you know that with this information, you can utilize it and put yourself on a different path. And that's just so empowering. Now you were talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger and Cheryl said, I'm 50 years old. Is it too late for me to start a lifestyle change to help me prevent Alzheimer's and dementia? Yeah, that's a great question. And so, so we're thinking, oh, you know, I'm 50, you know, has stuff been going on in my brain for the last 10, 20 years that uh, I haven't been paying good attention to. The good news is, is that you can, you can always start and hope for some benefits similar to osteoporosis, which Amy and I've talked about before, how we would love to, to, to be, uh, for this to be a pediatric uh, topic and something that we talk about in elementary school and not, you know, when we have our first hip fracture, it, it's still something that can be, that can lead to improvements, even if you're starting later in life. Yes. Do uh, follow the neuro plan, check out Dean and Aisha's books, listen to their podcasts, do this sort of an approach and you can still see benefits. And, and, you know, think about the study that we mentioned about the exercise with people who already had mild cognitive impairment. This was just uh, working on their resistance training for lower body um, over less than a year's uh, length of the study. And they saw, improvements. So never too late to start. I will say the caveat to that is never too late to start to help prevent Alzheimer's, to help deal with early, er, very early cognitive impairment. The There's still no cure for, for full-blown Alzheimer's disease. And so once, you know, once we're at the point to where our memory is very much affected, our ability to take care of ourselves, to feed ourselves, to, to bathe ourselves, go to the bathroom, et cetera, at that point, there's uh, there's very little that we can do as of now, based on the research that we know. Hopefully, some combination of lifestyle modification plus medication plus stuff that we haven't discovered yet will have some effect on that. But it's it's just much better to start before you get this uh, major symptom. Oh, excellent! That's going to give hope to so many people. I wanted people to imagine imagine that you could be on the screen instead of me. And you could be talking to Dr. Pierce. Well, guess what? You could <laughs> because Dr. Pierce is a physician with Plant-Based Telehealth. You want to tell us about that? Thanks for asking, Amy. We are Plant-Based Telehealth is a group that offers virtual consults. We cover 
almost all 50 states right now. I personally am licensed in California, Texas, and Florida. If you are, are physically located in one of those three states and want to talk to me about this or other things related to chronic illness that might be changed with lifestyle changes, that's great. If you live in another state, uh, reside in another state that I don't cover, we've got a great team of really smart, hard, hardworking, compassionate docs that will talk to you about this stuff as well. I mean, talk definitely talk to your own primary care provider. They might be versed in all this stuff too, and you can get great information from them, especially in someone that you already trust and know. But if you if you are looking for another opinion, or if you're if your primary doc, you know, might think that lifestyle is still a bunch of hogwash uh, and isn't up to with some of this later research on the benefits of it for chronic illnesses, including dementia, feel free to reach out. We're happy to, to work with you. It's not that these docs aren't smart. It's just that they are mm-hmm. not, like mm-hmm. you said, they may not be up to the latest research. And that's what I love about you and the other docs at Plant-Based Telehealth. You're not stuck to one opinion or one form of advice. If you see new research, then you'll change your recommendations when you see the facts and the research to back it up. But you are very well versed in the latest research in plant-based health and in lifestyle medicine as you are double boarded. And that's wonderful that you can be there to help people and they can just talk to you just like we're talking here. It's not Zoom, right? But it's something like that. Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it's Zoom through our electronic health records. So it's HIPAA protected and privacy protected, et cetera. Yeah. And you can see all their health records if they send them to you and you can review all different kinds of things and you can even prescribe medications if necessary and Mm -hmm. and tests and so forth, also interpret them. So I think it's just a great opportunity, especially if if you feel like you've exhausted some things and you really need a fresher look at it, it could very well be helpful. And not just for Alzheimer's, but you, of course, are there for other people in other situations if they need it. So I'm really so happy that you came back on the show and you always bring so much to the show as far as the information that you provide. And I wanted to thank you so much for being Mm -hmm. with us. I wanted to ask people who are watching and listening, tell us what you're going to remember. What's your takeaway? Just has voice. Can you tell us who is coming up next? Angela Faschetti was hypothyroid, had ovarian cysts, tumors, and the bone density of a 90-year-old. Hear about her amazing healing story on Wednesday, May 25th, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Be Green with Amy Live. And before we end, I wanted to invite all of you to do what my favorite Uncle Lou used to tell me on the phone. Go ahead and take your right hand and grab your left shoulder and take your left hand and grab your right shoulder. Now squeeze. That's a hug from me to you. And I'm so happy you're here because you are so important to this broadcast because you're sharing and liking and that helps support our message and helps Dr. Pierce also get this message out. And it's so important. And if you want to join us in this community and comment my tagline, which is be strong, be well, and be green, you can join me and Dr. Pierce doing that. Are you ready, Dr. Pierce? Ready. Well, until I see all of you again. Remember, be strong. Be strong. Be well. Be well. And be Be green. Green. (laughs) Bye-bye, everyone. Now you can listen to Be Green with Amy expert interviews wherever you go. Listen while walking, meal prepping, or traveling. Find Be Green with Amy on Apple, Google, Alexa, Amazon, or virtually anywhere you find podcasts. Be strong, be well, and be green with Be Green with Amy.